This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, if you'd like to go ahead and turn there. Looking at passage of scripture from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we'll be in chapter 6, verse 19, but I do want to let you know that next week we'll be beginning a new sermon series going through the book of Judges from the Old Testament. There are a number of excellent, excellent stories through the book of Judges, and while we're not going to have time to go verse by verse, we are going to be looking at some of the most significant judges in the period of the Israelites. So I hope you'll join us next week. We'll be in Judges all the way up until Easter, even a couple of weeks after that. So I hope you'll join us as we continue our study uh, this year during our preaching of God's Word. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, we're talking about the subject of giving, generosity, tithing, whatever you want to call it. We're talking about the very uncomfortable subject in the American church of money. Because the reality is, if I were to come to you this morning, and if I were to have a message about adultery, or anger, or pornography, or lust, or anything else, I would get wholehearted amens. And yet, when we talk about money, especially in the American church, we suddenly get very, very uncomfortable. The reason that is, is because for many of us in this room, our money is the one area of our life where we do not want to relinquish control. And so as we come to this text this morning, Jesus is actually teaching us what it means to be generous. I love to visit a website that's called the Gospel Coalition. It's a very good website with lots of good resources. They have a number of good articles. It stimulates my thinking. It shows me areas where I need to read deeper and study deeper on issues that are relevant to the church. And just a few years ago, two articles were posted within a couple of days of each other. The first one was, Why Christians Are Still Commanded to Tithe Today. read the article. A very compelling, solid, biblical case why believers in the church should still be practicing tithing today. And then a few days later, another article was posted by a prominent New Testament scholar who I respect, who loves the church of Jesus Christ. And the title of his article was Seven Reasons Why Christians Are Not Required to Tithe Today. So what are we supposed to do when we seem to have two groups of people, both who believe in the Bible, both who understand Scripture, study it intently, what are we supposed to do? Should we just identify with the article that already aligns with our presuppositions? Or should we go to the text and allow Jesus to speak to us very, very clearly? The reality is there's three groups of people in the room this morning. There are those of you that practice the discipline of tithing, which is just simply giving a tenth of your income to the church. And so for you, that first article, reasons why Christians are required to tithe, you would believe it. You would support it. You would send people to that article. And then for those of you that might say, well, I don't see Jesus explicitly telling us that we are to tithe in the New Testament, then your favorite article would probably be the second one. And so we all have to come to this realization that when we talk about money, we all have our own presuppositions about what we believe we're supposed to do with our money. But the reality is that God's word 
is the guiding factor in what we do with the resources, whether they be financial or materially, that God has given us. So this morning, the goal is to allow the text to speak to us and Jesus' words to us. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, this is what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This particular passage comes in the context of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 6, he's been talking about hypocrisy. And he's been teaching the crowds that if you go and you practice your holiness in front of a large group of people, you are being a hypocrite. Because the Pharisees and others love to practice their holiness in front of large groups of people so that everyone can see how holy they are. And then he tells them, don't be like the hypocrites who go and pray in front of everybody else and have very long, fancy, elaborate prayers using big language because most of the time people are doing that to impress those around them. So it's interesting here, in the context of hypocrisy, that Jesus brings in this very, very short passage talking about money, talking about generosity. And I don't believe that's by accident. Because the reality is, even though all of us in this room would tell somebody the solution to every problem in your life is Jesus Christ, functionally, we don't always believe it, do we? And so in many ways, as Jesus is speaking to the crowd here, he's saying the way that we handle our money can also make us hypocritical. Because we might say Jesus is the solution. We might say that don't worry about a job that makes a lot of money. Jesus is going to provide for you. But functionally, do we actually believe that? You see, what happens is, functionally, we're actually relying on our bank account, and our retirement account, and our houses, and our cars, and our careers, and our families. We're actually relying on those things for peace. Even though Jesus clearly tells us the only way to find peace in this world is through Jesus Christ. So we can be hypocrites. Does our money and the way we use it reflect somebody who has complete faith in God for all of our needs? That's really what Jesus is getting at here. In Jesus' day, banks were hardly used and they were rarely trusted. 
So when Jesus is telling the people, do not store up for yourselves goods on this earth where moth and rust destroy, this is what the people were doing. They kept hard currency and they stashed it away. They bought goods so that they could sell to make a profit. And Jesus is telling them, these items are not going with you when you leave this world. They will be stolen. They will be destroyed. And they were rust. Coming off the heels of Mardi Gras season, I can't help but think of all of the precious treasures that we want from the floats. And we'll do whatever it takes, just like Trey told us last week. We will knock somebody out of the way in order to get the flashy lights. And then we take home all of this stuff, we dump it on the floor, and we realize, I don't want any of this stuff. And so we end up giving 80% of it away because possessions on this earth rust and they will be destroyed. And so Jesus encourages the crowd to focus on things that make an eternal significance. Just a few weeks ago, I stumbled out of bed into the restroom and dropped my phone in the toilet. Now, I'm not a phone person, so it really wasn't that upsetting to me to lose my phone. I mean, I went about 36 hours without it, and it was very refreshing. I don't have a lot of apps. I don't use my phone for a lot of things. In some ways, I belong more like as a 90-year-old than a 30-something But I knew that I had to get another phone, and I was most upset about dropping it in the toilet, not because I wanted the phone, but because I was going to have to spend money on getting another one. You see, I come from a long line of thriftiness, which is a fancy word for cheap. My father, my grandfather, we're just a whole long line of cheap individuals. And so the fact that I was going to have to purchase another phone was agonizing to me. So I went to the AT&T store and I asked the man, what is the cheapest phone you still have available that you're selling? And he told me, I think we have some iPhone 7s like in a back alley in a dungeon. And I said, why don't you go grab an iPhone 7 for me because that's exactly what I want. Now I contemplated going back to a flip phone. Those were really popular during Bush's first term around the year 2000, okay? But I decided not to do so. I didn't want to disgrace my wife and my family. So I said, I'll get another iPhone, but I want the cheapest one possible. So he comes back with the iPhone 7. My wife Ashley is with me, and she says, what would the difference in price be between an iPhone 7 and an iPhone that gives you portrait mode? Which to me means nothing, but if you take pictures, apparently portrait mode makes a really big difference. And the AT&T worker told me it'd be about $6 a month. And I said, no thank you. Because as somebody who is cheap, $72 a year is a lot of money. Amen? Who's cheap in here? Just be honest. Okay? So $72 is a lot of money. $6 a month? No way. So I grabbed the iPhone 7, bought it, and I was on my way. I've been thinking a lot about that $6 over the last two or three weeks. And I realized that I would love to have come in here and told you that the reason I wanted to save that $72 a year was that I was going to give it to some great cause or add it on top of my tithe. But the reality is that $72, more than likely, will go towards something that Jesus talks about here, where moth and rust destroy. 
And so as we start off looking at this passage this morning, the first thing I want to ask you to do is to identify the treasure in your life. Because the reality is our money always follows our treasure. If your treasure is your children, you will do whatever it takes to ensure that they get in the best schools, that they are a part of the most elite sport teams, that they will get in to the best colleges, have the best jobs, and more than likely, your money will follow down that path to ensure that your children get whatever they want. If your treasure is your career, You'll do whatever it takes to be the most successful, hardest working, most knowledgeable, best dressed, best connected person in your field. And more than likely, your money will follow you. So as we identify what the treasure is in our life, we have to realize that more than not, money follows our treasures. It's not so much that money in and of itself is an idol, but money follows our idols. Be careful this morning that you don't think that Jesus is teaching that money in and of itself is a bad thing. That is not Jesus' teaching here. But his teaching here is that money often leads us into idolatry. It leads us away from the love of God to the love of stuff. And so we must identify our treasure. And then secondly, we have to search our heart. As Jesus continues on in this passage, he realizes that the people are most likely not spending their resources the way God would have them do it. So what treasures do we have in our lives, just like the people Jesus is teaching here in this passage, that are not focused on eternal things? That's really what it's about, is stewarding the resources, the money that God gives us to focus on eternal things and eternal perspectives. I did a search just the other day on the IMB website. That is our International Mission Board, which is the agency within our Southern Baptist Convention that we primarily send out missionaries and make sure the gospel advances out to unreached people groups. And I did a search of any current project on the IMB website that is focusing on evangelism or outreach. And I took every one of those projects and I added up what would the cost be if every one of these projects was satisfied. And the cost came out to $46 million. And you may be thinking, that is a lot of money. But we have professional athletes signing contracts for $330 million. We have people, even believers in Jesus Christ, that have lots and lots more than $46 million. That is a cause where moth and rust will not destroy. Currently, we still have 3.14 billion people comprised of 7,078 people groups who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is an eternal perspective. That is an eternal cause that is well worth reallocating our finances towards. But I want to warn you this morning and caution you 
to not think that just because you give your money away to the church or to causes that make an eternal difference, that that somehow makes you right with God. Because in the reality, as we, as we search our hearts this morning, it's not just giving away of our money, but it's making sure that we do it with the right motive. Because if the motive is wrong, even though the need might be satisfied, the void in your heart will never be fulfilled. Sometimes I think when we talk about money in the church, we try to tell people that if they give to the church and if they give to causes where the gospel is being advanced, that somehow that gets them on the inside track to heaven. And it does not. The void in your heart is only satisfied through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we search our hearts this morning, as we identify our treasure, and as we search our hearts, we have to understand that anything that we give to God's church or to any kingdom effort only comes out of an overflow of our heart towards what God has already done for us through Jesus. You also need to understand that generosity affects your spiritual health. Now scholars disagree over why Jesus includes these verses about the eye and the body in a section that is focusing primarily on money. What is the reasoning behind that? But the term that Jesus uses, if your eye is healthy, healthy can actually be translated as generous. Because if you go look back in Proverbs chapter 22, you see that the writer of Proverbs talks about a good eye as a way of saying a person is generous. And then in Proverbs chapter 23 and chapter 28, the writer uses a bad eye to describe somebody who is stingy with their resources. So the metaphor that Jesus is using here actually fits in perfectly with generosity. If your eye is healthy, if you're generous with the resources that God has given you, then you are like light. But if you're stingy, if you keep the money and the other material things that God has given you to yourself, then you're unhealthy. Your eye is unhealthy, and as a result, your entire body is unhealthy. The metaphor of light and darkness that we see very, very prevalent in John's writing. God is love, and in him there is no darkness. And light is represented by love and everything that is good. And darkness is represented by sin and evil and everything that is wrong in the world. And what Jesus is telling us here is if we are Excellent in every other spiritual discipline, Bible reading, prayer, fasting, witnessing, and yet we hold back our money, we are unhealthy spiritually. We cannot pick and choose what disciplines are important in the Christian life. Just like the body is a system, and when one part hurts, the entire body is affected. It's the same way in our walk with Jesus. We cannot be for all of these disciplines and then withhold the discipline of being financially generous in our giving. That doesn't add up. We must be aware that generosity affects our entire spiritual health. And then Jesus also shows us here that every single one of us in this room 
is serving a master. Every one of us in this room is serving something. Now, Jesus tells us very clearly in this passage that you cannot serve God and money. But he's very clear that you can serve God through your money. In fact, those of you in this room that would consider yourself financially blessed, you should be serving God with the money that he has given you. So hypothetically speaking, let's say somebody has a private plane in here. What are you doing with that private plane to get the gospel out to unreached people groups? How could you take your plane and fly missionaries to places that nobody on the world has been to in order to make sure the gospel is shared with those people? Maybe you have a vacation home or a second home. How are you using that home for a family or a couple who would no longer be able to go on a vacation unless somebody were to share it with them? How could you use that home to bring in missionaries who've been on the field for many, many years who need a break? Maybe you have a lot of stuff in your house and you realize I have way too much stuff than I need to survive. Maybe you sell that stuff and you donate that money to the IMB, to this church, so that we can get the gospel out into the streets of New Orleans or around the world. If God has blessed you financially, I'm not telling you to give it all up and go be poor. I'm telling you to use it for the gospel. For kingdom purposes in this city and around the world. Jesus says here that a slave owes his master. And in Jesus' day, slaves were not under contract. They were the complete property of the master. And Jesus uses this metaphor here to show us that you cannot serve both God and money. Only one can have your all. Now, we try to serve multiple things at a time. We try to say that we can do this and that, but it's just like multitasking. You actually cannot do it effectively. We're all serving a master this morning. That master is either God, our money, our career, our family, whatever it might be, every single one of us this morning is serving something. And what Jesus is teaching the crowd here and what he's teaching us is you cannot serve both God and money. The reality is that many times when we talk about tithing and when we talk about money in the church, here's what happens. There's a group of people in here this morning that give a tithe of their income. And their mentality is, I've given a tithe, so I'm good. And if that's your belief, even though technically you could maybe give 20, 30, 40, 50% of your income, then you have missed Jesus' teaching here. The teaching is not about a bottom line figure. The teaching is about examining within each of our own hearts, what does it mean to be generous? And if 10% is the max that you can give, then you are being obedient. If 10% is all you're giving because you think that's all God requires, you are missing what Jesus is teaching here about being generous. Generosity is not a number. It's a heart. And then there are some of you here who are saying, you know what? Jesus doesn't explicitly teach tithing, 
Therefore, I'm good on whatever I give to the church. Yes, that's true if it comes from a heart of generosity. But if it comes from a place of keeping back money to spend on myself, then it doesn't align with what Jesus teaches here. So all of us have to do the difficult task of getting before God and asking Him, what does it mean to be generous in my personal life? The reality is, brothers and sisters, wherever you fall on the spectrum economically, you are in the richest 1% in the entire world. And if you ever go to other parts of the church of Jesus Christ outside of America. Many times, our brothers and sisters across the world look at the American church and they see affluence. And you can agree or you can disagree with that. But the reality is, every single one of us will be held accountable for the way that we steward the resources that God has given us. Jesus' is teaching in this passage is to be as generous as you possibly can be with the resources God has given you for His glory to reach the nations, to reach the people in New Orleans with the gospel. You know, the number one reason people give, you can read this in any fundraising book, any book on giving to a nonprofit or to a church, the number one reason people give to a cause is not the persuasiveness of the speaker. It's not the cool factor of the cause. It is belief in the mission. The mission is very clear according to God's word. Jesus himself tells us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. Here in Ghana, in Zimbabwe, in Peru, that's the mission of the church. Contextually, that looks different in different parts of the world. It looks different in New Orleans than it does in Zimbabwe. It looks different in Ghana than it does in Alaska or Houston, Texas, or New York City. But that is the mission to which all of us are a part of. So let me ask you a question this morning. If that is the number one factor on why people give, do you believe in the mission? The mission of this particular body of believers is to go and make disciples in the clubs in Bourbon Street, in the nursing home, on the streets, in the prisons, teaching our children and our youth and our adults every single week faithfully the Word of God, not so they can store up head knowledge, but so that they can then go out and transform the community in which they live. So that we can reach the four people that I have challenged every single one of us to focus on and pray for this year. That's the mission of this church. What Jesus is teaching here, please hear me, is not a legalistic understanding of how much money you are to give. But he is asking every single one of us to examine how generous are we with what we have been given. Do we really need the latest, greatest iPhone? Do we really need 
the fanciest car? Do we really need the biggest house? And that's something that all of us individually have to go to God and ask him to show us the areas where we can reallocate the money that he has given us for eternal causes that make a difference in the kingdom of God. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. Three things. Now, I already told you that people don't give because of the persuasiveness of the speaker. So I'm off the hook. Okay? Here's what I want you to do. It's very simple. Number one, I want us all to pray. And I want us to pray in light of these four points. I want us to ask God to identify what our treasures are. I want to ask God to search our hearts. I want us to ask God and talk with him about what it means that generosity affects our spiritual health. And then number four, I want us to get serious about asking God this question and talking to him about this, that what master are we currently serving? You can pray using the four points of the sermon this morning. And then after you've prayed and you've read God's word, I want you to examine your budget. I want you to look and see, is there any money or material resources that can be used for a better cause in the kingdom of God than how I'm currently using them? And then I want to ask you to move as the Spirit leads you. Maybe for you, what you're currently giving to this church is the max. God will honor that, whether it's 10% or 0.5%. But maybe there's some of you in this room who say, you know what, I'm giving a tithe or I'm giving 5%, but I think I can give 10, or I think I can give 20, or I think I can give 30. Please hear me this morning. The goal is not a number. It's the heart. If $46 million can satisfy every need that the IMB has for the gospel being reached, imagine what God could do in our own midst if we would allow God to have control of every single aspect of our life, including our money. We could see lives transformed for years and years to come. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we know you are in control of every single thing. And you know our hearts. Only you know our hearts, God. I pray this morning that you would help us to identify our treasure, what it is in our life, that our money follows. Search our hearts, God. Show us how we can use the treasures that you've given us for your kingdom. God, teach us and show us that our generosity affects our overall spiritual health. And then help us also to understand that every one of us in this room is serving a master. And if it is not you, if you are not at the forefront of our hearts and of our minds and of our wallets this morning, God, I pray that you would be the focus. God, we love you. Give us generous hearts so that the gospel can get 
to the 3.14 billion people who still do not know who you are. For the person in the club on Bourbon Street who needs to hear the gospel. Use our resources for those kingdom causes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.